with God. But sin changed everything. And it's what brought death into the world. Without the sin of Adam and subsequently our sin, there would be no death. For the wages of sin is death, God says. Also in Romans, he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. You know, death should be always be a reminder to us about sin, about disobedience to God. Whether it's a death of a person, any kind of death, death of any creatures. That's not what God made. That's because of sin that we have death. It's real. And there is nothing more serious than facing this fact. But it's deeper than just the letter of the law. Because God looks at the heart. He looks at our motivations. Not just behavior, but our desires, why we do it. Well, sin is rebellion at its heart. It's doing what we want instead of what God wants. It's choosing something other than God. Turning away with relationship with him. As we heard last night, it's turning to dirty, stinking wells that we dig ourselves and saying no to the fountain of everlasting life. So, well, what about us? Like, we don't have a tree. Is that our law? We don't have a tree? Is that it? Well, no. God has since then given us commandments, his ten commandments, and you are probably familiar with them, right? Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't murder. Obey and honor your parents. Sex is made for one man and one woman in marriage. Don't covet what other people have. Also, don't have any other gods in your life besides the one true God. No idols of false gods. No mocking God and using his name as if it's just a common thing. And no loving other things, the things that God created, rather than God the creator himself. So, it's not just the letter of the law. The law helps us to see ourselves and understand our desires and motivations. So, any of you guys know what a dipstick is? I mean, I've been called a dipstick before. <laughs> Perhaps you have, right? But I'm sure some of you know. There's different ones, but in a car, you'll check your oil by putting a dipstick down in there, right? It's like, oh, maybe something's wrong with my engine. Let me check the oil, you'll put it down in there, and you pull it out, and oh, that's a little low, or that's pretty black, okay? But can the dipstick do anything to help you fix the car? It can't help you. It can just reveal what something that may be wrong. Another way you could look at it or it has been put as a law is like a mirror. And you look in a mirror and say, oh, I got some fruity pebbles from this morning stuck in my teeth. Fruity pebbles teeth. Or, oh, my ear hairs are getting a little bit long there. All right. Can the mirror do anything to help you? It can't. It just reveals something that's wrong with you. So this law is good and holy. God made it for our good to keep us safe, to keep us from harm, to protect us, to help us flourish and enjoy God. But when we look into the law, it just reveals our heart. Some of you guys have probably seen on YouTube or the Internet a guy named Ray Comfort. Um, I think that's his name. <laughs> but he goes around, and on, a man on the street, and he takes the law to people, and he holds it up to them. And, you know, most people say or honest, like, yeah, I haven't really obeyed the law. I have lied. I have uh, lusted. I have not obeyed my parents. And so he usually ends by saying something like this, like, so what you've just told me is that you are a lying, thieving, murderous, blas murderous blaspheming adulterer at heart. You see, he says it's at heart. 
the behaviors come out of a heart desire. So that's the law, but what of those who don't have the law? What of those who've never heard of God's Ten Commandments? Well, they still know that they have sinned. You see, we have all been made in God's image, distinct from the rest of the universe that God created. We are made in God's image. We're made to show what God himself is like in his character. One way it's been put to think about an image is to think of a statue, right? If you guys see a statue, like you see a statue of George Washington, say, you don't think, oh, that's actually George Washington. I'm going to go talk with him. No, but you think, oh, that that reminds me of what he was like. Oh, yeah, he was a, a general, a president. He was brave. And all the things that he accomplished makes you think about him and his character. And that's what we're meant to be. That's what we're created to be, the image of God, to show everyone this is what God is like, holy and good and righteous in all his ways. Well, God tells us this about those who don't have Ten Commandments as a mirror, as a dipstick. He says this in Romans, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Even people who don't think about God or know his commandments, oh, they know at times that they've done wrong. Uh, they, they, they feel a guilt. Have you ever felt that? You may not be thinking about a particular commandment, but you've done something or said something, and you, you know, oh, that was not good. That was wrong. So the point is, no one has any excuse. Those who know God's law and his commandments and those who don't, we all do wrong. We rebel against God because we want to. Because it's in our nature. From the nature of Adam we've inherited. We're born with a rebelliousness, and we just show it by disobeying God's laws. Now, I think it's not too hard to understand this, that we do wrong. We're sinners. Like, I've gone door to door before, um, It's not the best way of evangelism, but it certainly is, uh, well, it helps you rely on on the Spirit of God. But have you ever seen these little tracks, How Good Are You? Some of you have probably seen them. It's it's the Ten Commandments, and you take it as a mirror, and you show people. And, you know, most people will say, well, yeah, I've done wrong, I've sinned, but, well, rate rate yourself on a scale of one to ten. Probably seven, you know, six or seven. I've done wrong, but I'm not that bad. I mean, right? Um, I'll give myself a decent grade, a passing grade. Um, So the question then, as we consider sin, and especially in light that we're all sinners, well, so what? Especially if everyone does it. And I'm not as bad as others, at least from what I can see. So what does it matter? Is it really a big deal? Point number two. Or another way to put that, is there any penalty for sin? All right, so what's a penalty? Do we have any sports fans here? All right, raise your hand for your favorite sport. Whose favorite is football? Okay, basketball? Yep, my basketball right here. Extra points for whoever raised their hand. (laughs) Um, How about soccer? All right, cross country? I know we got some of you crazies around here. (laughs) All right, regardless of the sport, there are rules, right? And if you don't do the rules, there's a penalty. So... Let's take football, for example. If you don't snap the ball in time, what do they call that? It's a delay of game, right? 
Eh, not a real big deal. You get five yards penalty. What if you grab the other guy's helm, face mask and rip it? Oh, that's pretty big. That's 15 yards face masking penalty. What about if you run as fast as you can and you hit the other guy with your helmet right in his head? Well, now they call it, nowadays, they call that targeting and you're out of the game. All right? But what about sin for us? What, what kind of penalty is there? It's not a bad penalty. It's not like targeting, right? It's probably more like delay of game. I'm not that bad. Here's what God says in his holy word. This is in the book of Leviticus about those who transgress or disobey his laws. Whoever of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel give any of his descendants, children, to Molech, a demonic false god, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. Or how about this one? For everyone who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, shall surely be put to death. Moses gathered all the people together and said, For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a day of Sabbath rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. So, of course, we understand if we sin and wrong, there's, there's some kind of punishment, right? But does that punishment fit the crime? Why is the penalty for sin death? And not just physical death. This death is eternal death. Eternal separation from God and everything good. There's nothing good outside of God. If you're separated from God, you are separated from everything good forever. And you'll receive his wrath. Here's what God says, his holiness, his holy word. Whoever keeps the whole law, James chapter 2, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. And say, I've done it all, but oh, I had one mess up, guilty of all of it. That's the holiness of God. But does that seem fair? Is it right? Isn't he the God of second chances? Did you ever hear that? He's the God of second chances. As if like, well, I messed up, I sinned, but he'll give me another chance, right? And as long as I keep trying and getting better and better along the way and proving, then I won't have a penalty, right? Or am I saying that you guys don't do any good ever? Like only sin? Like, oh, I, you never obey your parents? You never give to the poor or pray or read your Bible or do something for the sake of others? So what's the big deal? Well, in essence, this is the same question as the rich young ruler in the Bible had. Have you heard that account? This young man, well off, doing well in life, came to Jesus. He said this, what must I do to have eternal life? Put another way, what must I do to not have the penalty of death? Jesus said, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he, this man, said to Jesus, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Now, Jesus had just prior, just recently, gave his Sermon on the Mount to explain to this man and everyone really what the law of God is about. And if Jesus were impatient or if I was there, maybe someone else might say something like this to this rich young ruler, what? You've kept the Ten Commandments since you were a boy? 
Don't you realize that if you are unjustly angry with someone, you have violated the true meaning of the law of God against murder? Don't you know that if you lust in your thoughts after another person, you break the law against adultery? Are you saying you never covet? You have always honored your parents, not just obeyed, but honored? You must be crazy or blind or in the land of Oz. Your obedience has been superficial, outward at best. You obey for appearance sake. So yeah, this is the wizard of Oz land that this young ruler was living in. God is holy, holy, holy. He is the judge of all the world. And letting disobedience, hearts of rebellion go, and sin go unpunished is unholy. It's unjust. Look, we even know this from earthly judges, right? If you have an earthly judge and somebody breaks a law, and he just says, eh, you know what? I'm feeling merciful today. Go ahead. You're free. What about a murderer? What about a thief? What about a rapist? Eh, I'm feeling merciful today. Go ahead. No punishment, no penalty. What? What about the victims? That, that's not justice. Impeach the judge, retrial. Or I'm going to take law into my own hands. I'm going to do something about this. Now, we should be very glad that God is just. But what about us? What about our sins? What about your sins? Does it really deserve death? Separation from God, eternal punishment in hell forever? Listen to this quote from R.C. Sproul, the book, The Holiness of God, which I highly recommend. Is the death penalty for sin unjust? By no means. Remember that God voluntarily created us. He gave us the highest privilege of being his image bearers. He has made us but a little lower than the angels. He freely gave us dominion over all the earth. We're not turtles, we're not fireflies, we're not caterpillars or coyotes. We are people. We are the image bearer, bearers of the holy and majestic king of the cosmos. Have you ever thought about that? Like, what's your reason for existence? Like, I know I have different times woken in the middle of the night and just think, like, who am I? How did I get here? Uh, Am I real? How did I come to be me? Well, you and I were created for one purpose. That's to glorify God, to image him, glorify him, and enjoy him, to know him forever. That's what we're made for. So sin is not just disobeying rules. It's rebelling against the very reason that you were created, the very reason you exist, against the one who keeps our hearts beating every moment. Sin is such pride. It is arrogance of the created against the creator. Another quote from the holiness of God. Have you ever considered the deeper implications of the slightest, smallest sin? What are we saying to our creator when we disobey him at the slightest point? We are saying no to the righteousness of God. We are saying, God, your law is no good. My judgment is better than yours. Your authority does not apply to me. I am above and beyond your jurisdiction. I have the right to do what I want to do, not what you command me to do. And we have become false witnesses to God. When we sin as the image bearers of God, we are saying to the whole creation, 
all of nature under our dominion, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, I would add all other people, the spiritual realm, angels and demons, we're saying this is how God is. This is how your creator behaves. Look at us and you will see the character of Almighty God. We say to the world, God is covetous. He is ruthless and bitter. He's a murderer, a thief, a slanderer, unfaithful, an adulterer. God is all these things that we are doing. So do you see how serious our sin is? When we sin, we dismiss God as a fool. And what we would rather do is compare ourselves to one another, right? Instead of dealing with the reason we exist, the reason we're alive, the power and beauty of the one who, God, who created us, we look at others, and then, of course, we don't seem as bad. Ah, oh, I never killed anybody. Well, I've been angry, but not as angry as somebody. You should see some other people. I mean, you should see my sibling. Man, they really get angry. My parent. I'm not that bad. Or what many people do is they flee to another land of Oz. And one, of, one that they do is, well, let's just say there's no God at all. Right? Let's just say at one point there was absolute nothingness. And then, bang, now there's everything. Oh, I like that. Does that sound scientific to you? <laughs> That's the most unscientific thing there is. We all know that when you have nothing, you never get anything else except from that but nothing. But yet this allows people to say, oh, I don't have to worry about God. I don't have to worry that I'm an image bearer of God or about whether I love him and want to honor him. It puts their mind and conscience at ease in a land of Oz of their own making. Or, more likely, we make up a God who will judge like I would. Right? I'll make up a God who will give me a good judgment. He will keep giving me second chances. So I'll always be good. I'll always be a six or seven in my own eyes as I compare myself to others. This is also a make-believe delusion. It makes God unholy and unjust. God says, I will by no means let the guilty go unpunished. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you may say, Mr. Steindel, I don't know, man, this sounds like a philosophy, you know, some kind of an idea uh, about this judgment for sin and everything. Maybe you're the one in Oz. Will I really be judged by God? Is what God says in Acts 17. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere, all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This is not a philosophy and idea. This is something that God demonstrated once for all by raising a man from the dead. This is certain. And so what this should bring is fear. Fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the holy God who will hold us accountable. In fact, there is nothing else that you and I should be worried about compared to this. Knowing this penalty that we deserve, what are we going to do? What can we do? Point three, the only way to be freed from the penalty of sin. You might be saying, hey, Mr. Steinel, there's no way out. You already told me I'm guilty. I can't do anything more. I'll, I just quit. Like, what do I do? Well, God is just. 
but he is also merciful. His justice is holy, his mercy is holy, but how does he do both? How does he give us a penalty, but not give us a penalty? What are you talking about? How can that be? Well, if we look at our text, we can see there is an offer given. Forgiveness of sins is offered. Forgiveness, not work, not try harder. Freed from everything the law couldn't free you from. The law can't save you. It just shows you your guilt, shows me my guilt that I deserve a penalty, that we deserve judgment. So how do we get free from this penalty? What is this offer of forgiveness? It's through this man. What man? Who is this man? It's Jesus Christ. He is the man. You see, God loves us. He loves you so much. He gave his one and only son. Too many think of God as just harsh, rulemaking, restraining, constricting, demanding. Even though all his laws and rules are good because he loves us, they're meant to protect us and keep us safe and flourish, enjoy relationship with him. But they don't understand the depth of his mercy. What great cost to the father and the son. You see, Jesus Christ is the only one who obeyed God's laws perfectly. He showed exactly what God is like as an image. The exact image and representation. His motives and attitude were pure. His love was purely for the Father. Showed in perfect obedience. When Christ Jesus died, it was not just a physical flogging by men, humiliating, painful death at the hands of sinful men, whose hearts Jesus himself kept beating as they hung him on that cross. It's far more than that. The penalty that we deserve under the law of God was poured out on Jesus Christ for anyone who will receive it, for anyone. This is why Jesus died on that cross willingly because of his love for you. Colossians 2 says, And you and I, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, its law demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Jesus is offering you his obedience and law-keeping in exchange for your sin and law-breaking. Does that sound like a good deal? <laughs> this is the best news you could ever hear. And mercy and grace, these are things that are by definition undeserved. They're not earned. God is offering you mercy now. He's offering you grace. You have to receive it as a gift. There's nothing you can do. Just receive it by grace. Christ stands alone as the one and only way because he takes the penalty. He took it. It's done. Your penalty is done. If you will confess and admit that you need it and receive it. God himself entered into history so that we can know for certain. He died and rose for you. All other views, religions, philosophy, make a mockery of the justice of God. Every other religion is based, every other philosophy is based on some form of merit. Did you do enough? Here's what you can do. 
Buddhist, the Hindu, Muslim, Roman Catholic, anyone. Here's what you got to do. Start doing better. You got to pray a little more. Do some religious ceremonies. Give to the poor more. Clean away your bad thoughts. Many of you know a man named Martin Luther, who later became a Christian. But before he understood what Jesus did, he tried to punish himself for his sins. He denied himself sleep, extreme fasting, going days without water, praying longer than anyone else, sleeping outside on cold winter's night without a blanket in order that he could pay for his own sins. But the haunting questions didn't subside for him. As a Christian, I believe good works. And we should do good works. But they are not the basis of my acceptance. They are not the basis of a removal of penalty. That does not remove my judgment. John Piper says in his book, 50 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die, God has a totally different way of saving sinners than by weighing their deeds. There is no hope in our deeds. There is only hope in the suffering and death of Christ. There is no salvation by balancing the records. There is only salvation by canceling records. The record of our bad deeds, including our defective good deeds, along with the just penalties that each deserves, must be blotted out, not balanced. This is what Christ suffered and died to accomplish. You see, he stands alone. There's no more wondering whether or not you've done enough. You are free. You are free. Finishing the verse I shared earlier. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, in other religions, acceptance comes at the end. It's based on your merit, how well you did in your life. How well did I do? In Christianity, through Christ alone, Acceptance comes at the beginning. It's based on God's love for you and his relationship with you. Sin had separated. Now we can know God by his love. I wanted to share an illustration given by a, a, a scientist and an apologist named John Lennox. Brilliant guy. And I'm going to kind of apply it to me. All right, so I've been married 25 years as of this summer. It really kind of makes me sad to think how fast 25 years went. Oh, yeah, thank you. Um, But I remember I met my wife, and it's like, oh, yeah, she's the one. And she's felt the same way miraculously about me, all right? And so let's say I said, all right, here's the deal. Um, I got a gift for you starting out. Okay, I'm going to marry you, but here's this gift. And she opens up the gift, and it's a cookbook, all right? And I say, yeah cookbook. Could you turn to page 17, honey, my, my dearest? That's my favorite pizza recipe, okay? And it's going to tell you how much flour you need to put in, how much baking soda, the kind of sauce that I like, what kind of, how much pepperoni and cheese and everything. Turn over to page 47, and there is my favorite dessert, apple pie, okay? Tells you the kind of apples you're going to need to use, all the ingredients, the flour, how long you need to cook it. And after 25 years, I'll do an evaluation and See how you've done. If you've done well enough, I'll keep you on, right? If not, you have to go back to your mom, okay? (laughs) Right? All right? How do you think she'd feel about that? (laughs) 
that is not the way God loves you. No. You see, my wife doesn't cook for me to earn my love and commitment. She does that because she already has it. I gave it to her at the beginning. Sure, I'll give her a cookbook. Here's what I like. But she's not worried. Oh, did I do it right? No, she's free. She's free. And that's what Jesus Christ has done for you. And all those who put their faith in you, you are free. The weight is off. There's been a couple times, a few in my life, when I've heard the gospel preached, and I actually like felt a physical weight almost come off of me. It's like, oh, yeah, I don't have to worry. The penalty is done. There's a final exam for me, but it's already been taken by Jesus. I got 100%. I'm in. And now I can just enjoy God now without any fear. You're welcomed and you're loved by God. Know him and enjoy him because of what he's done for you through Jesus Christ. It changes everything. So there are really only two kinds of people here. Those in some kind of a land of Oz who, as you read this morning in your devotions, are under condemnation. And then there are those who've received this free gift of God, admitted that, put their faith in Christ, and have freedom. Imagine there may be some of you here are thinking about Christianity. Oh, you guys are a bunch of goody-two-shoes, people who tell everyone else to be good, but they themselves aren't even good. And you'll go down this road. You may be on this road right now of self-love, self-determination. No one's going to decide but me. And what you'll find is you may be enjoying sin for a season, but underneath it, there's an emptiness. And there will be a bitterness and certainly no hope beyond this life. Pushing aside the idea of God and that he'll hold you accountable. No. That's a lie. That's a delusion. Turn away from that right now. Find the joy you were meant to have in Christ alone. Find your freedom. And now there are others here who have put their faith in Christ. Be certain. God loves you. He wants to know you. Oh, press into God and enjoy the freedom. See the kind of relationship? It's not the cookbook relationship. It's like, come, come to me. I love you. He's taken you from the courtroom, the cold, hard, fearful courtroom. And he's moved you to the family room. It's warm. There's joy. There's no fear of being put out. He's adopted you. He's your father. Like, nothing can touch that. You, you can't touch this. Should I do my MC hammer? Anybody know that? You can't touch it. Nobody can touch it. You're safe with him. He loves you. No, I won't do the MC hammer dance. Don't worry about that. But I know some of you may struggle. And so just a few things to think about. For those who are Christians, maybe you lack joy. You're not consistently growing spiritually. Your love for God lacks passion. Maybe you're always looking for something new. Like, oh, there's got to be something new or more, some experience that will help me put all the pieces together, my faith. What you need to do and what I need to do is go back to this truth, how much God loves you. We can go into the path of legalism where we start again looking inward and saying, am I good enough? Am I good enough? And we can either be one of two errors, yeah, I am pretty good. That's why God loves me. Or I'm so terrible. And just be condemned because we focus on our sin. Both of those are equally wrong. They will not lead to joy or passion. Also, 
just to live subjectively. Oh, things are going my way and I feel good. Then I'm thankful and happy and think God's for me. But when things go bad, no, no, he's not for me, no. No, God is always for you if you've put your faith in Christ. So enjoy not only the freedom from the penalty of sin, but also the freedom to know the God who loves you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son who willingly came. Lord, to cancel the debt that stood against us, of which we surely are guilty, and to free us forever, to make us your very own loved sons and daughters. Lord, help us to fight against legalism and condemnation and thinking that it depends on our performance, but help us for the joy of your love for us, follow you and serve you all our days out of gratefulness for all you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.